Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PM&R from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. I would like to welcome back our listeners to part two of an interview with Dr. Susan Maltzer. So, Dr. Maltzer, welcome to you, too. Let's begin where we left off at the end of the first part of the interview. Last time, we discussed various topics, including side effects and lymphedema and shoulder problems that would be associated with breast cancer surgery and the kinds of rehabilitation measures that can be employed to improve patient outcomes. So, apart from rehabilitation involving physical functions, What do you see as the extent of post-surgical care aimed at social and emotional functions? That's a great question. And I think this is where almost every cancer program struggles. Access to mental health services is lacking across our health system, mostly having to do with how mental health care is reimbursed. Interestingly, when we look at breast cancer patients and we look at post-mastectomy pain, One of the highest predictors of post-mastectomy pain is preoperative anxiety and depression. And so one of the things that we need to pay attention to is how our patients are doing emotionally. I think we do a good job screening patients. I don't think we do a good enough job treating them. So I think as cancer rehabilitation programs begin to build out, we need to think of innovative models for providing emotional support to our patients. So at our health system, for example, we have some psychiatrists, we have some therapists, but we also employ social workers and support groups. And I have found that patients find this very helpful. In addition, there are several organizations that will partner breast cancer patients with a patient close to their age that has already gone through treatment. And I've been told by my patients that they have found this very useful. From the perspective of patient-reported outcomes, what steps are being taken to identify the patient's needs in conjunction with the needs that are being identified by the healthcare team? I think when patients come in to see the doctor, they are feeling very overwhelmed. If they're coming to see the surgeon, They are frequently just talking about the physical aspects of their recovery and their reconstruction. If they're seeing their oncologist, they may be discussing prognosis or chemotherapy. Patients frequently don't know which questions to ask, or they may be afraid to bring up something. So, for example, patients may be afraid to bring up to their surgeon that they're still having debilitating pain or that they can't raise their arm past a certain degree. Patients may be unwilling to talk about the fact that their memory has suffered or that they're having sexual problems. This is where physicians that provide supportive care, such as cancer rehabilitation physicians, really need to tease out from the patients what their complaints are. And I think the best way to do that is to ask. Ask about psychosocial distress, ask about sexuality, ask about pain, ask about return to work, all these things that patients may be afraid to bring up. 
You just mentioned returning to work, and that would be a function to some degree of a woman's age and her station in life. So that situation, if they really need to have to get back to work for a whole bunch of different reasons, they may need additional kinds of support in the rehabilitation process. What's done to assist women in that aspect of their lives? You know, this is an interesting question because the majority of my patients here in Long Island tend to be on the younger side. You'd be surprised how many patients I have in, my, in their 40s and in their 50s, and most of these patients are still working. I think that providing supportive care to patients, treating their pain, treating their physical functioning, treating their psychosocial limitations, will help them return to work. I definitely see a wide variety of impairments in patients. I have some patients that continue to work through chemotherapy and radiation, and I have others that are debilitated, aren't able to return for up to a year. So I think asking questions about their levels of disability and finding out what it is that limits them from returning to work. Is it pain? Is it a cognitive problem? Is it neuropathy? Is it inability to do exactly the job that they were doing? Is it something to do with how they look physically? Is it because they've lost their hair or because they now have to wear lymphedema sleeves? So I think prodding can definitely help. And I think in rehabilitation, we are used to working with vocational counselors to assist our patients that have neurological disabilities. I think with time, these programs will include patients that have cancer. But I think specifically to breast cancer, I think the biggest thing we can do is try to identify barriers and try to solve them. Earlier, you mentioned sexual function that can be affected by breast cancer treatment. And what do you do to make sure that that topic is brought up? As you mentioned, patients themselves may be a little reluctant to initiate such discussions. So do you try to make sure that that's part of developing your profile of how they're doing? Absolutely. So in my experience, patients will never bring up sexual dysfunction, at least with me. And sexual dysfunction is a very prevalent concern among breast cancer survivors. And it's important to remember that it's very multifactorial. You know, it could be because of chemotherapy. It could be because of the endocrine therapy that patients are on. It could be because of, you know, psychosocial factors of women not feeling good about their body afterwards. It could be because they're having low libido because they're fatigued. So I think the first thing is to identify that the patient is having a sexual dysfunction by asking. You know, we're all taught in medical school to take a sexual history, but I think this tends to fall by the wayside a little bit. And, you know, it's important to remember that up to 20% of breast cancer patients actually consider stopping their endocrine therapy because of side effects relating to sexual dysfunction. So I think unless we ask and we help patients treat sexual dysfunction, I think this condition will go unnoticed and will be very detrimental to their cancer care. So just asking, bringing up the topic, letting the patient open up, I think is really important. For the age group 65 and older, for both males and females, one of the health risks is a vulnerability to falling. And oddly enough, many of those falls occur in the hospital itself. And in some cases, they prove to be fatal. So among older women, when they're undergoing treatment for breast cancer, how vulnerable are they to experience a balance problem 
that could increase the possible risk of falling. I think older women are vulnerable to balance problems and to falls. And again, this is going to be extremely multifactorial. So women undergoing breast cancer treatments can develop chemotherapy-related neuropathy, which can cause numbness and balance problems. We also have to look at all the other factors that older women may have. For example, chemotherapy can cause a worsened osteoporosis. Endocrine therapy can cause osteoporosis. Steroids which patients frequently get with their chemotherapy can both worsen osteoporosis and cause muscle weakness. All these things combined with becoming more sedentary as a result of treatment definitely puts older women at risk for falls. This is where I think it's so important to get a functional status and a performance status from our patients. We need to know, are they able to walk several blocks? Are they able to climb a flight of stairs? Do they have any numbness in their feet? It's important to watch these patients walk to assess their balance. And in such cases that they do have balance problems, physical therapy is extremely effective, not only at treating the balance problems, but teaching compensatory strategies, getting patients to use an assistive device when one is needed. So I definitely think that this is a problem that should be screened because there are treatments. Advances in technology today, such as the development of wearable sensors and cloud-based apps, are making it possible for patients to provide daily feedback on their conditions and the successes that they're experiencing in self-care. Are any of these approaches being used after patients leave the clinical setting? I think there's a lot of excitement about activity trackers in cancer care. For one, Oncologists, especially when they do clinical trials, need real-time information on patients' functional status and performance status, and wearable devices can definitely give that information in a more objective fashion. But in addition, you know, there have been some studies showing that using activity trackers and wearable devices can motivate patients to exercise more. And this is beginning to be studied in cancer exercise studies, whether wearing an activity tracker can motivate patients to increase their physical activity and to become less sedentary. I also think with time, we're going to begin to see a phenomenon where where patients can kind of participate as part of a group while doing exercises on their own. And that, I think, can be very motivating as well. So I think overall activity trackers are going to continue to be increasingly used in both cancer care and exercise in cancer patients. Do you know if these are covered by health insurance or is this something that's principally an out-of-pocket expense by the patients? I don't know if these are covered by insurance yet, but if you think about it, even our iPhones have an activity tracker on them. So we can definitely teach our patients to monitor their steps, their flights, and be an active participant in their health data. So as you look at your field of breast cancer rehabilitation following the surgery of patients, what do you see as possible areas where there could be improvements in both diagnosis and in the rehabilitation treatment protocols themselves? So I think that Some of the things that are going to continue to improve is simply that there will be more of us. Right now, cancer rehabilitation is a really small field, 
But everywhere I look, I know residents and fellows are getting really excited about this field. And as more physicians go into the field, there will be more research-driven protocols. I think the one thing that is going to significantly improve is that we're going to start looking at quality outcome tools. We need to show that what we do works. We know that it works because our patients are coming to us and telling us, you know, my shoulder is better, my pain is better, my arm is less swollen, I have more energy. But we need to really develop tools that can measure what we do. And that is what I think is going to exponentially improve in the next few years. When you were in medical school and made a decision that you wanted to pursue a career in physiatry, had it occurred to you at that point that you wanted to be involved in breast cancer rehabilitation, or is that something that evolved during your residency and subsequent training? So I actually became a physiatrist because I thought I was going to be a spinal cord injury medicine physician, and it's something that I still really enjoy right now. But I was basically a resident at Rusk, and I heard a fascinating lecture by a physician whose name is Dr. Stubblefield, definitely one of pioneers of cancer rehabilitation. And as I was listening to his lecture, a fellow co-resident turned to me and said, you know, you should do this because this is everything you want to do. It's different. It's medically complex. It's serving a wide variety of patients. And that really sparked my interest, and everything I learned after that kind of led me to the path of cancer rehabilitation. Sounds like you made an excellent choice. So I'm going to conclude this interview by again thanking you for sharing your insights with our listeners about your activities involving the rehabilitation of breast cancer patients. It's been both an honor and a pleasure to have this discussion with you today. And I wish you continued success in all your future endeavors. Again, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at nyulangone.org slash Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcast.